This episode of Philly's Therapy is brought to you by Loop. Ask any ball player, and they'll say there's no better feeling than coming up with a big hit when it matters most. Download the number one sports card app and get those big hits for yourself. Join Loop and get access to live sports card streams all day, every day. Our community hits cards that are worth up to thousands of dollars every night. Get a piece of the action for yourself. Download Loop for free today at loop.cards. That's L-O-U-P-E dot cards. Loop, sports cards 24-7. Well, this was almost a perfect week. This was almost a chance to come into recording this episode. Here we are on Sunday evening, the 15th, fresh in the afterglow of the Phillies wasting their opportunity at, at sweeping the Dodgers out of Dodger Stadium in a four-game set. We had an opportunity to really be flying high this week, to really be feeling like we're untouchable, for a change to be impervious to all of the doubts, all of the bad feelings, all of the uh, nagging nuisances that have come with this team over the first uh, six or seven weeks of the season. Instead, we got a walk-off loss to cap a seven-game road trip. <laughs> a successful seven-game road trip. We won't lose that in the shuffle, but it wouldn't be Phillies baseball if we didn't at least end on a bit of a Saturday night. Welcome to Phillies Therapy, everybody. My name is Paul Boyer. You are back with us for our ninth episode. Uh, again, fresh off that four-game set against the Dodgers and seven-game overall West Coast road trip that also included some time against the Mariners. Joining me today is a a bulwark of uh, the Phillies writing sphere who has moved up from our ranks in uh, Philly-centric world into a national stage with baseball prospectus recently. It is my absolute joy and pleasure to welcome to the show as our special guest this week, Mr. Rob Orr. Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. I uh, <laughs> tried to get over how flattering that line was. Give me way too much credit. <laughs> Well, look, I, I say it because it's true. Like there are there are certain people who watch baseball and don't really care much for the strategy or thinking too much beyond what they see on the surface, right? There are people who probably get plenty of enjoyment from baseball just by watching the game or even having it on in the background and passing a little bit of time. You and I are not those kinds of people. We are people who really love to get down to the atomic level of what the heck is going on. Not just with the Phillies, in your case, uh, you cover really anything that piques your interest for baseball perspectives these days, and you really take an interesting angle to it. I, I think I want to know how you got to this point. Like, what was your journey like from starting out analyzing, watching baseball, and, and getting to the point where now you're writing for Baseball Perspectives, one of the absolute leading publications in baseball media right now? Um, yeah, I, uh, just was a fan for a while. Uh, like you said, um, a little more interested in the nuts and bolts than probably a better adjusted individual would be. Um, so <laughs> okay. uh, it wasn't too long before is I that tried. A metric, is that metric like fanhood plus or something like that? We Maybe I should work on that. Maybe I'm sorry. Keep going. Um, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't too long before I started, um, you know, breaking down Phillies players and um, 
because I was watching them nightly and I was like, all right, you know, you notice uh, what someone's doing and, you know, what causes it to be good or bad and, you know, just interested in that stuff. So I was writing about that for a little while on my own blog. Uh, went to uh, Sports Talk Philly for a little bit, and then I was at Philly's Nation for a little while, too. Um, and then, yeah, I, uh, earlier this year, I wrote something, and then the editor, uh, Craig Goldstein at Baseball Prospectus, uh, asked me to write for them um, in January, I believe. He slid into my email. <laughs> Ooh, saucy. Um, what's it like? I, I think there's a... There's a a special skill, not to pat ourselves on the back too hard here, my God, but there's yeah, a certain way. Of, <laughs> there's a, all right, let, let me try that again. There's a certain <laughs> way of, of watching baseball that, again, this goes back to, you know, a lot of folks just wanting to watch baseball to pass some time or having the casual enjoyment of not really thinking too hard about it. But there's a certain way you have to watch the game in order to be able to break it down and dissect it and analyze it on a, a level that you get into, um, have you found it uh, evolutionary? Have you found it's changed the way you've watched games, even when you're not necessarily watching for something you're writing about? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, for, for me specifically, um, I write about hitting a baseball perspective. So I'll just like notice small things guys are doing at the plate, um, you know, what pitches they're jumping on and how that can like lead to uh, butterfly effect stuff later in at bats and and then later in the game when they see a guy again. I mean, it's, it's not like super advanced technical stuff, but it's just, you know, the small little details in the, in the game that you're looking at. So then let's get into those, those technical details a little bit here. What are your tools of the trade? What do you go into um, a, a piece of research or, um, writing an article, what what do you come armed with in your toolkit when you set out to either find data or uh, come to some sort of conclusion after watching some of these games? Um, well, like for finding for finding a topic, you know, it's just you know maybe I'll, I'll watch a guy earlier in the week and uh, notice something he's doing, or I'll comb leaderboards and notice a change from one year to the next, and then it's like. Um, I work in, in R a lot, so a uh, little bit a little bit of coding involved, but um, you know, do some some breakdowns there. I uh, I'll often pull up uh, Baseball Savant and um, watch some video of their their swings from various years against certain pitches or something like that. Um, and then you know, like you just try to pick up on small changes. Um, a lot of the time, it's not one big thing that a guy is doing um, that's causing them to be successful. And so because baseball analysis is a still growing field, whether it's uh, within teams building up their own internal departments or even on the outside, uh, like you and I, really, where you have people who analyze the game from a fan perspective from the outside, mm -hmm. what's, what's one recommendation you could give to somebody who maybe they're still in school or they're thinking about getting into the more analytical side of, of baseball What's something that they should pick up or really start doing uh, in order to, you hope, eventually one day get to the point where you're at and writing for a national platform? Um, it's it's a it's a boring answer. It's very stereotypical. But no probably, such thing. <laughs> but uh, probably picking up some kind of software to make your job easier, some kind of 
proficiency with uh, you know R or Excel or something like that, SQL. Because um, I mean that just makes it so much easier for you to for you to do your to poke and prod numbers to to find answers to questions that you have that maybe you can't like find on fan graphs or baseball perspectives or a baseball savant leaderboard. And so is that in your background? Do you have a computer science or information technology or programming background that you have melded with your baseball fandom? Is that how it, it sort of came to pass? Yeah. Um, I would say that. Yeah. I, um, picked up R when I was taking statistics classes at Virginia tech. It was the first time I came across it and that was a couple of years ago. And then I kind of liked being able to come up with my own, you know, queries and uh, formulas for figuring things out. So I dug into it some more and God, you could, you could spend just an eon learning different R packages and code and all that. But uh, I've gravitated towards the ones that I use for baseball mostly. Wonderful. Well, if anybody out there is interested, if you're listening to this, you probably already know who Rob is and are interested in what he's doing. But if there's someone out there who isn't, baseballprospectus.com, look for Rob Orr's byline. It's one of the most worthwhile subscriptions you could have across the internet, uh, always producing quality work. And Rob is certainly a valued part of that. And I'm personally very happy to see him added to the roster. So we keep a little bit of that Philly representation. Uh, <laughs> but but let's, get, let's get into the meat and potatoes here. Uh, and, and talk about this wonderful baseball team of ours. And they're actually surprisingly positive week. It, it, it's nice when I, I start getting ready to record, whether it's with Matt or, or whoever else might be joining me. And not really immediately leaning on a bad thing to have to walk through. Because this was a pretty good week. You know, yeah. the, the Phillies went out west, a place that's normally, you know, a house of horrors. This didn't include a swing through San Francisco, which is my personal hell, which is nice. But still, mm. Seattle is a team full of some interesting, young, mostly pretty good players. Uh, and they play well at home. That's a good baseball environment out there. And then the Dodgers are the Dodgers. They're a 100-win NL West team who gives everybody fits. They're a world-class, you know, top, uh, cream the crop kind of team and the Phillies came in and they won five out of seven games. <laughs> Is this the point where we start thinking like, Oh, okay. Maybe they really can play like the semi contender. We thought this team was built to be. Yeah. It, it was a, like a almost overwhelmingly positive week left you feeling pretty good. I mean, you can't feel a hundred percent great about the team at any point. That's just never, universal never. That. So that's why we got that, that little yeah. walk off today. Sure. Um, no, I mean, look, this podcast wouldn't exist if we were feeling a hundred percent confident. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, uh, they look, they started to look a lot more like the team that I think we all expected them to be uh, after the like Schwarber and Castellanos signings. Um, where you could like just list the strengths and weaknesses and kind of ex figure out how you would expect most games to go. And, you know, there was like some 12, 10 <laughs> games in there. Then, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's about what you expected. And they started to look like that, which was reassuring because I think we all thought that would be a better team than uh, we had seen before, like we had seen to this point this year. So, yeah, sure. I mean, if you're a fan, then this week probably had you mostly good vibes. <laughs> I think the thing that really checked the boxes was that they scored at least four runs in every game of the road trip, which is great. Like this team was built on the thought that they're going to hit 
Uh, obviously, the composition of the ball being different for the first month of the year. And by the way, I'm starting to notice a few more of these fly balls leaving the yard here in May. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait a little while to see if anything's changed there. But the Phillies are scoring runs and they were scoring runs on this West Coast road trip. Now, the thing that can give you a little bit of pause, the thing that can make you worry a little bit if we start, you know, delving into these anxieties and uh, the existential fears that we all have is that the bullpen starting to look a little bit shaky. Uh, the Dodgers series was not without its headaches. Um, thankfully, a lot of us, myself included, I had to go back and rewatch this later, but a lot of us were <laughs> awake to see some of these things happen <laughs> live where they blew consecutive, you know, leads in late innings, including another seven, one lead, uh, before eventually winning nine to seven. That's not really a viable strategy. And, and the thing I'm wondering now is, yeah, they've, pulled out some wins. They went five and two on this trip. Okay, great. Bank a few. Uh, how much faith do you have in the bullpen right now, given the way it performed over this past week? Um, I didn't think it was going to be a great unit to begin with. I don't think anyone did. Uh, mm. I thought Knable might be a little bit better than he's shown. Uh, I'm a little concerned about him. What I'm, what I'm mostly concerned about is that uh, Familia and Alvarado keep getting used as like extremely high leverage guys. And I'm not sure when that's going to stop. And I don't feel great when either of them come into a game. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think we share that, you know, this team right now doesn't look like it, it. It has that lockdown guy. They have, they have good performances so far out of the guys that they have. Um, Canable has been mostly fine. Sir Anthony has bounced back wonderfully, and I'm really happy to see that he's, you know, pitched as well as he has so far. He's, he hasn't been flawless, though. You know, he's his walks have crept up a little bit in his last couple of outings. Familiar, like you mentioned, and especially today, during today's game uh, on Sunday, let a lot of his sinkers fly to the arm side. Didn't really look like he had great command. Alvarado, of course, is just he, you, your heart rate goes up to 100 every time he comes into a game, no matter what. Yeah. And, and Brad Hand is just still being used like a pseudo specialist. He's not getting an inning per appearance. And then you've run into the back end guys where, you know, anything positive you get is, is wonderful. Uh, I've thought for a while that the bullpen didn't get enough help this past winter that, mm -hmm. you know, the, the adding Jerry's familiar, fine. Adding Corin Canable, fine. Brad hand. Ugh. He's actually been kind of a pleasant surprise given how bad he was the last definitely, couple of years. Definitely. Um, but they, they need some more help, right? Like this has to be priority number one come late July or the trade deadline, maybe even before, right? Or is there something else that you would put at the top of your list? Um, no, I think I think it's definitely the biggest need, unless you can like find a center fielder somewhere, which I mean they don't exactly grow on trees, but yeah. Um yeah, I would I would definitely say that some some late inning guys or one or two would would do the most help for this team. Um but I mean, they did get a little bit of help. I've been I've been high on Francisco Morales as a prospect for a while. I've, I've mm. wanted I've wanted them to to convert him to a reliever for like a well over a year now. So that, that I'm glad that they finally did this year. And then his his debut was that was electric. Um, the the save against the Dodgers, like I feel like he was a little bit too amped up. Mm. Yeah. Um, he couldn't find the zone for anything. Um, but it, to his credit, he did, he did get it done. Um, so hopefully that's like a, 
a building block for him. Um, and maybe he can, maybe he can be give give us a little bit like a 2018 Sir Anthony kind of role. That might be asking a lot, but I think he's capable of it. Yeah. So let, let's let's talk about Francisco Morales a little bit because you've obviously paid attention to him as he's been ascending through the minor league system. He's only made a couple of appearances here with the major league clubs, so a lot of folks might not be intimately familiar with what we're getting in Francisco Morales. What makes him so appealing to you as a pitching prospect and now as hopefully a valuable bullpen contributor for the major league club? Um, it's as simple as he's he's got some just power stuff, just some nasty stuff. It's, you know, yeah. 95 to 97, uh, high fastball, and then just a biting power slider, which I'm not sure why they call it a slider even. Uh, it reminds me a lot more of like a power curve that you see. Mm. um from like uh like a glass nail type or something it's not quite as deep as that but um it's a swing and miss pitch and he can manipulate it a little bit uh to get more bite on it if he wants to or more more sweep on it um and i mean those two pitches uh for a while he was trying to learn a change up but they scrapped that when they converted him to a reliever this year and with mm, those I two see. pitches it's just you know it's just two dominant pitches that you could it's like late inning stuff and so is that something that the team can try and count on this year? Or what should we expect from Morales now that he's up with the club? He's made a couple appearances already. Looked okay, maybe a little jittery or amped up, like you said, for his debut early on. Obviously, adrenaline's understandable. Is this somebody that you think eventually the Phillies are going to trust in uh, more high leverage situations as we go on? Or is he simply going to be counted on getting some experience, logging a few innings, probably not picking up a ton of appearances in the seventh or eighth inning or later with a, a one or two run lead. Um, that's, that's the question. Uh, Cause his problem is, and we saw it against the Dodgers, it's uh, c- control and command. Um, sometimes you just can't find the zone. And I would say we have enough of those guys probably, um, but he got better with it when, he started pitching out of the stretch permanently this year. He was walking fewer guys uh, down in Reading this year. So, I mean, if he can maintain what appear to be some of the gains he has there, I think he would be one of the better uh, high leverage options in the pen. I think his stuff compares to like anybody's in there. The thing that's got me a little bit worried is not really Francisco Morales's fault. He hasn't done anything to really exacerbate this. Uh, I look at what the Phillies have done with their pitching pipeline over the last few years. And I see Aaron Nola having a really good year. You could call it a bounce back year after his last season or two, where uh, he was a little bit subpar. He's really having a very good year this year. It was really good again on Sunday. Uh, apart from him, and I guess you could say Sir Anthony, although Sir Anthony's had to deal with a couple of injuries the last few years. There really hasn't been much of a minor league pitching pipeline that the Phillies have produced. And you notice that, there's been a lot of supplemental work, uh, especially in the rotation right now. You could you could add Ranger Suarez in there, although it's I'm still not sure exactly what Ranger Suarez is, but that's a topic yeah. for another day. Um, what can make us buy into the thought of Francisco Morales being a guy who hopefully can immediately contribute, and then what can let what can let us let that trickle down, if that makes sense? Because we have. Andrew Painter, we have Mick Abel, 
We have uh, guys in the upper minors who are on the 40 man who might get a look, you know, guys like James MacArthur. Um, why should we put our faith now in this pitching pipeline or shouldn't we? Is it too soon to tell? Uh, well, the Phillies apparently are not planning on relying on Morales immediately because they just optioned him. Uh, oh, well, there we go. As we were speaking, <laughs> um, that's not that surprising to me. No, um, it's not. You know, he they were down pitchers uh, this week with the COVID issues. Um, and he, you know, he could use a little bit more polish. So I was wishful thinking, hoping that he could turn into a late inning guy. But I mean, it, I, I always expected him to come up like maybe in June and maybe give him a jolt. Mm-hmm. So him being up this early was a little bit of a pleasant surprise for me. But um, as far as putting faith in them, um, I think recently they've had a little more success with uh, relievers coming up through the system. Like I'm thinking about Connor Brogdon or even mm-hmm. um, guys that they bring in who seem to to improve a little bit. Um, once they get to the MLB level, like, Sam Coonrod came from a pitching organization in San Francisco who couldn't figure him out. And then he had a pretty nice first season in Philadelphia. Um, so I think maybe they're starting to get in the right direction there. Uh, that's what I'm putting on my Phillies tinted glasses and <laughs> hoping there for. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trying I to mean, give an optimistic point of view here. No, that's good. I, I think we need that because they're not going to score seven, eight, nine runs a game forever. Obviously the lineup is hot right now and it's really been nice to watch a lot of these games where everybody's clicking. Bryce Harper and Gene Segura, especially those dudes have been absolutely scalding over the last week or so. Um, But eventually things will cool off. We've, you know, people who have watched baseball throughout the course of a season know that that's just how it works. We watched this team come out of the gates a little bit slow to start. Um, Now they're hitting well and that's great, but eventually things will start to slow down. It's just the natural ebb and flow of the game. Do they have enough pitching to keep them in the lower scoring games where the offense isn't outputting, you know, all the beef that they can with their, you know, eight to 10 run outbursts? Um, Or are we going to have to start wondering when is it too soon to look outside the organization for a little bit of help and a little bit of reinforcement, maybe in a trade? Um, I would say they probably need, they're going to need more by the end of the year. Um, I, the, the, the Brad Hand and Juris Familia signings were, you know, good, good. Like if those were like your sixth or seventh inning guys, maybe you'd feel pretty good about the state of the pen. But the fact that they're consistently being asked to get the outs right before Knable comes in, or even in lieu of Knable when he's unavailable, I, I don't think that's going to cut it if you're trying to keep up with the Mets and potentially the Braves in an NL East race I just I don't yeah (laughs) speaking of keeping up um, or I guess just keeping in general there's an interesting situation brewing involving Gene Segura who as we mentioned is absolutely on fire right now and hitting the crap out of the ball and seemingly getting two or three hits every game for the last week um He has an option for next season. It's not been picked up yet. It's not a sure thing. It's not a a set in stone situation. And it's entirely possible that the Phillies could look externally for uh, another middle infielder, maybe Bryson Stott, if he recovers, uh, plays well enough into getting a starting position at shortstop or second base. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Mm -hmm. Segura 
has a $17 million team option for next year. He has been, you could argue, the team's second best offensive player the last three years behind Bryce Harper. He's really been very good. He's at least in the conversation. Yeah. And he doesn't really look like he's slowing down all that much. It's easy to say that when he's in, you know, the kind of streak that he's in right this moment. But it presents an interesting situation because the Phillies, they, for, look, if it's me, this team should spend what they need to spend to get a competitive team out there. It's not my money. It's the billionaire's money. The billionaire should spend more money to <laughs> make this team good and get back <laughs> to the playoffs. But absolutely, they've spent a lot of it. And now we have to think about, okay, how serious are they about consecutive years over the luxury tax threshold? And are they going to try and do some kind of maneuvering to maybe pay a little bit less, maybe decline the option to try and renegotiate? Are we, are we looking at a potential situation where Things are going to get mucked up when the situation and the solution is really just a lot simpler in that Segura's option should probably be picked up. Or are you willing to let this play out a little bit longer, see how he finishes the year, and then take the chance that mm, maybe he finishes the year a little bit cold, maybe the situation changes, you decline the option, and then you leave yourself with another regular spot to fill in free agency or trade like they've been doing so often the past few years. Mm, that is a, that is a tough one. Cause I mean, he's, he looks phenomenal right now, obviously. Um, and he, he has been probably when you take into account fielding, uh, I mean, he's the best defender on the team after probably JT, right? I would um, say so. Yeah, definitely. And you know, his hot streaks, he can carry a lineup or, or at least, uh, Usually with like one of the, the boppers going, they, he can power a lineup for two or three weeks at a time. He's, he's a great, great, really nice piece. And um, replacing him wouldn't be easy. 17 million is maybe, it's it's kind of a, a sticker shock type of price. I don't know if they're going to, if they're going to have the stomach to do that. Maybe, maybe they would like decline it and then try to extend him at a lower AAV. Um, if they're trying to to game the luxury tax threshold a little bit, I um, yeah, I could see that happening, and I think that's really, you know, right now again, it's easy to say that while he's hitting the ball really well and things are looking good here in the middle of May, but it really seems like uh, they don't have much of an appetite for that that price tag, that seventeen mil. Just a hunch. I don't have anybody whispering in my ear and telling me these things, so I would think that given how popular he is, and I think he's largely a, a very popular player, um, that the Phillies would probably want to keep him because there's no obvious replacement. You don't look at a guy like uh, Nick Maton to step in and be a regular second baseman for you moving forward. Nick Maton's a nice guy to have around on your on your roster, but uh, you probably don't want to hand the keys over to him. Right. And so you look at Segura, and he's in a bit of a lame duck situation, You know, not exactly like uh, Joe Girardi is right now. <laughs> A little bit different than that. Um, but the team holds the power. It's a club option. Uh, the buyout is low. I'm looking at his baseball reference page right now, and it, it's a $17 million club option. The buyout's only $1 million. Uh, this really does seem like a situation where maybe he could get a new contract, flattens that number out a little bit, and then we start getting into accounting tricks. I wonder, are we getting set up for just more and more of this 
uh, accounting as it relates to adding baseball players to this team, because they're so close to each of these luxury tax levels, again, exceeding it for the first time this offseason, uh, that even though the billionaire, again, should just be spending his money, uh, we're probably going to have to take that into consideration when thinking about what's realistic or what's not. Is that the way we need to go about this? Do you see it changing anytime soon? Well, you, the ideal solution here would be to have a consistent pipeline of young players coming through the system that you oh, could, what a concept <laughs> you could supplant your core with because they've got uh, got at least track is it is it like five contracts with uh, twenty million plus AAV I think on the books uh, it's it's a it's lot something like that yeah it, it's a lot <laughs> um, so that's a lot that's a lot of money tied up annually and those and a small number of players. So you got to fill those roster spots somehow and you ideally want them to be good players. And those are going to also cost something, but if you tack on years, then that's how you you game the accounting. I I mean, I think if they want to win now and the, and the, there's not going to be a sudden influx of young talent, which I mean, I I think the best middle infielder in the system is like Luis Garcia, who's still at, Jersey Shore, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's high A, that's not particularly close. Um, then if you're looking to improve or just like keep a, keep a present day contributor around that core, cause you're trying to win, then yeah, you're going to have to do something if you're going to also try to stay under certain uh, artificial uh, thresholds and not surpass those because you're afraid of the penalties, which are not that bad. <laughs> Well, yeah, let, let's turn our attention to those guys who may hopefully be getting those eight-figure contracts one day uh, and think about some of the minor leaguers down in the Philly system. You, you mentioned Garcia. Um, who else are you keeping an eye on this season in the Philly system? Maybe somebody uh, who could pop and, and, and rise up some prospect lists, somebody who's maybe just a little bit near and dear to your heart and not necessarily a, a potential game changer. Who, who's got your attention when you look at minor league box scores during this season um well i mean it's he's not particularly a secret anymore but last year's first round pick andrew painter has just been mm-hmm. utterly dominant and disgusting in Clearwater. and i believe yes, last sir. night he touched like 102 last night which is he's just although he did give up his first earned run as a professional pitcher oh, almost never a mind. year after he was ship drafted. him out he's a bust yeah. what are we talking about no. get him out of here um <laughs> But he's he's already ranked. But um, mm. another draft pick from last year who I, is not uh, commonly featured on any of the top prospect sites uh, is Griff McGarry at Jersey mm. Shore. I think I mean he might even be able to contribute by the end of this season if they wanted to put him in a relief role because um, he's just a stat cast darling. He has just the nastiest stuff you've you've <laughs> ever seen and. Uh, his only issue in college was he couldn't find the zone and then um, they drafted him some small mechanical tweaks and suddenly he was consistently in the zone and it's, it's mostly maintained this year. He's just being stretched out after a small injury in spring. Um, He, if he doesn't come up by the end of this year, I think he's going to be pretty high on some top prospect lists next year. Um, I, I think that's an interesting bit of optimism right there. There have been some high-profile changes within the Phillies' developmental system uh, over the last couple of years. We're talking about uh, a change of, of scouting director with Brian Barber coming in. We're 
uh, talking about a change in uh, player development direction with Preston Mattingly coming in. Uh, these are people who carry good reputations in the game. Every time you see something written up about them, uh, usually features some glowing prose and some good quotes from their their coworkers or their managers from previous positions, wherever they might be. So these are people who come with a bit of an expectation to fix what has been one of the most snake bitten prospect pipelines, maybe in the entire sport. They're just I, I I have almost literal nightmares sometimes thinking about how hard it's been for this team to successfully get somebody from uh, draft day to the major leagues and have them stick. You know, I almost thought they were going to run into this again with Alec Bohm after last year because the thing that I had been so confident uh, with him was his hitting. He had looked great, you know, his call-up spring training in 2021. He looked great again, and then it was just a mess. I mean, there are other things that go into a down year for any player, but I was a little bit shook again but we have this opportunity, I think, to rethink how the Phillies are going to prepare these guys for an eventual major league call-up. And some of the performances, like you mentioned, with guys like Painter, guys like Griff McGarry, and you know maybe a little further on down the depth chart, we have the opportunity, perhaps, to realize a bit more of these guys' potential and have them be major league contributors. Not necessarily regulars, not necessarily all-stars. But it seems like there's a better chance for some of these guys to make a call up or get a call up, I should say, uh, play a few innings, get a few games in, maybe serve as a good backup or a, a one week regular as a spell guy and actually contribute, not be a total black hole. Is it safe to start being optimistic about the way the Phillies are building, rebuilding this pipeline? Or is it still a little too soon to tell with the new folks in charge? Uh my advice when it comes to uh, <laughs> uh, optimism without guardrails regarding the Phillies is to just, no, just <laughs> yeah. stay away. Stay away. But <laughs> in all seriousness, I, I do, it is very early. I mean, you don't, you don't see uh, changes usually in like a couple months after guys are brought in. Um, mm-hmm. Well, all the personnel is just the nature of the, of the developmental industry. But I do think you can take away some encouraging signs this year. Um, you're seeing some guys. Well, first of all, Brian Barber, um, the, the nature of their drafts has, has changed considerably. They've gone from taking kind of um, quote unquote safer uh, picks where, you know, they, they kind of get to the majors quickly and they mm-hmm. might stick around the majors, but they're not really difference making players necessarily. Mm. Uh, thinking about like an Adam Hazley type. Um, uh, R.I.P. Yeah, I mean, I liked Hazley, but he's <laughs> just, he, he was always like a fourth outfielder type. Yeah, that was sure. pretty much what he was going to be, and now he is that. Um, but uh, now they're, they're taking shots on upside. I mean, back-to-back high school pitchers in the first round who both are doing very well. Um, that's a difficult position to develop. That's, a, that's the highest risk position. Uh, population you can you can pick in the draft is you know high school pitchers so much can go so wrong um over that period of time but they're doing very well um they're drafting like some athletes where before they would draft you know kind of like the college steady as she goes types mm-hmm. um and and yeah you're just you're, you're seeing some of it paying off now um 
like I said, McGarry was a was a fifth round pick last year. Uh, Abel and Painter have already gone up the board. I liked Ethan Wilson a lot last year. I was happy with that pick. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not hitting too too well at Jersey Shore. Uh, that's a difficult park, but he's also still adjusting to the pro game. So reserve judgment on that one. Let's keep our eyes toward the future and think about what the major league team is going to do over the next couple of weeks, because they just had this surprisingly successful West coast road trip, but things are not about to get any easier. They're coming back home for a three game set against the Padres and then three more against the Dodgers this time in citizens bank park. And then they turn right around and have a divisional road trip where they get four in Atlanta, three against the Mets, seeing the Mets yet again here before may is over. And then finally we get more West coast teams coming out to Philly with three against the Giants and three against the Angels. That's a lot of really tough baseball over the next three weeks. The Phillies are a game below 500 at 17 and 18. They're still not quite within shouting distance of the division. Is this a make or break stretch for the team? And will they survive it? Uh, It is definitely a, this is when it starts, you know, kind of, uh, becoming real, I would say. Like uh, most of the time, I don't get too caught up in April results because so much can change. But this is when you start to to build your record up a little bit. And they, you're right, this is kind of a gauntlet of teams. Um, I think their goal should be to maybe uh, tread water a little bit, probably, where you don't, you just don't want to fall out of the race mm-hmm. against all these teams. Um, I'm not. I feel like they're in pretty good shape right now. They they haven't, I mean, knock on wood, they haven't lost anyone huge for like a very long period of time. Um, so it's mostly intact. They're, the key players are. Um, I I feel pretty decent about them going forward. And I mean, you don't, there's not a lot of places you could go that's a tougher series than facing the Dodgers in LA. And they that's just true. passed that test with mostly flying colors. Um, I, I think that they're in pretty good shape right now. I feel pretty good about them. I feel better about them than I have in a long time. Well, well there you go. That's the spirit. <laughs> yeah, the thing I'm looking at and the thing I'm paying most attention to is the seven-game stretch of divisional opponents toward the end of the month. Yeah. Up going Memorial Day weekend. I, it, it is – I'm going to say it's essential that they win at least four of those seven games because – Atlanta is going to be right alongside them for this entire year, uh, assuming the Phillies stay into it. I don't see the Phillies leaving the Braves in the dust, even though Atlanta has not been playing all that well to start the year. And then, of course, three more against the Mets. The Phillies have already wasted a few chances to gain a little bit of ground on the Mets. They've played mm-hmm. so many of their uh, their slate of games or scheduled slate of games here in these first two months, and they're just not getting it done. And I think if they want to avoid falling too far out of the division race you have to take two out of three there and then you'd hope for at least a split in atlanta so i'm looking at four and three as like the baseline to have a decent amount of hope for them starting off the month of june i know like you said that's early and there is still a lot of season left but man if they keep punting these chances can they reasonably stay in the mix for the division or does it just become a wild card focus after that yeah, they, they definitely have to, to do well there, and I'm not sure how optimistic I am about any 
four, four game series in Atlanta. There's just so many, so many memories of oh boy. <laughs> just terrible, terrible losses there. Um, and we've, we've seen Atlanta start slow before and then that's true down the stretch. It's just, they, that team knows how to win. They're very talented, obviously. I, I do think this series at City Field would be important because if I'm correct, that would be 13 games played against the Mets. And that's just not leaving a lot of chances to make up ground later in the year. If you do fall behind, you're not going to be able to take games head to head if you don't do well there. Um, so you're right. That's absolutely crucial. That's probably the biggest seven game stretch uh, that they could have, but that's also uh, two weeks away. So, or uh, that's after this week, I'm sorry. Um, so they, they definitely got to take care of business at home this, this week too. Um, definitely. Some good teams. I mean, the Padres are doing pretty well. Manny Machado might be the NL MVP to this point. I'm not sure people are talking enough about how incredible he's been with Tatis out. Um, and then, you know, the Dodgers next weekend will be looking to get a little bit of payback for what happened this past weekend. Well said. All right. Well, another big week, another big two weeks, really, of baseball up ahead for our beloved Philadelphia Phillies, who, again, as of recording here on Sunday night, sit 17 and 18 after taking five out of seven games on a West Coast road trip. They're in decent position, but we're still not entirely sure what to make of this team or if they're going to keep this momentum going as they kick off a homestand on Tuesday was joined again by the wonderful Rob Orr. you can find his work at baseballprospectus.com. You can also find him on Twitter at Rob. Can you uh, let the lovely folks know your Twitter handle, please? Uh, yeah, it's all just one string of words. It says not the Bobby Orr, and that's, you know, or ORR is the famous, hockey player uh, i get asked all the time if i'm related i'm not not him I'm not quite that old um but that is where you can find me on twitter i, I feel like i've been sold a false bill of goods oh uh, sorry I, I i all right you know what i need to talk to somebody in scheduling i need to get a producer on the line here we, we got some logistics to talk about here uh while i get that in line rob thanks so much for joining us uh, i i guess even though you're not the famous bob or that's oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. There's some free publicity. Uh, <laughs> you can catch Rob's work, again, at Baseball Prospectus and on Twitter, where he has some great insights, honestly, um, throughout Philly's games and, and uh, while we all wait for games to kick off. Uh, that is not Bobby Orr. Uh, Rob, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time hopping on Philly's Therapy and talking it out with us. Thanks for having me on.